Well, every blessing to you all, and welcome back to my open air pulpit. The week before last, we were able to commence and conclude our best outreach to date. And I'm speaking about Oxford, of course. We estimate that we gave out around 4,000 tracks, and our banner was seen by probably 30,000 people. On top of that, we spoke to dozens of people. It was a great time to come together with uh, like-minded people to preach the gospel and just hold up the name of Jesus Christ. And every so often I think to myself, but if I wasn't doing what I was doing, for example, if I wasn't street preaching, or if I wasn't going onto the streets to speak to people, or if I wasn't getting up close and personal with unsaved people, I don't think I'd want to offer advice to those that do just that. Yes, every so often I come across people online who do just that street work and their approach is different to mine and they say and do things that perhaps I wouldn't say or say or do. But I think until you are in that situation yourself or if you're not prepared to put yourself in such a situation yourself, it's probably best to keep your views to yourself. It was General Patton back in World War II who said that he wouldn't ask one of his soldiers to do something that he wasn't prepared or able to do himself, and I like that. I think if you're not prepared to do something yourself, or if you can't do something yourself, then perhaps keep your views to yourself. On top of that, if you go to 1943, 1944, there was a man called uh, Paddy May, Paddy May, and he was an elite uh, SAS soldier, a real trooper, a man's man, and on one occasion he was sent into enemy lines, and he was just outside of Berlin, and word got to him that his men were under enemy fire. And not only did he uh, rush uh, to their rescue, and he saved, I think, two or three dozen, but on top of that, he also was able to liquidate, as they say. He was able to eliminate, he was able to destroy enemy combatants, and I'm referring to the Nazis. So, yes, we can learn from each other, and we can share thoughts, and this and that, but I think, unless you are in the front line, like Paddy May, or unless you are prepared to follow your own orders or lead by example, like General Patton, it's probably best to keep your views to yourself. Isaiah 22, Isaiah 22 is a good place to start today's message, which I want to call the broken key. Because when it comes to street work, when it comes to speaking to unsaved people, we are very much at the vanguard. We are probably the first point of contact that many people come into contact with. Most church people, most saved people as well, very rarely venture outside of their church. They go to church maybe two, three times a week, do church, go to prayer meetings, have Bible studies, which is all very commendable, don't get me wrong, but they don't go to the next level. They don't go onto the streets. They don't speak to people about, about eternal matters. And that's why I think it's so unhelpful when you come across armchair critics, people that think they know what to do or how to improve what you're doing. Well, let me say this. If you're a brother, if you are saved, if you uh, feel you know how to do street work, then may I suggest that uh, you go onto the streets, take a camera, film yourself street preaching, maybe put 20 minutes aside to do just that, uh, or go to somewhere like Speaker's Corner in London and take on the Muslims. Never mind fighting each other online. Never mind posting videos online against brother such and such, or sister such and such, but mainly brother versus brother. Women shouldn't have online ministries, you understand. Never mind taking on the brethren. Never mind taking on the church. If you've got time in your hands, if you have the zeal, if you want to do something for the Lord, get onto the streets. Film yourself preaching, and we can observe you, those of us which are doing just that on a regular basis, and we can then critique how you do what you do. But if you're not prepared to do that, if you're not prepared to go onto the streets and take on the Muslims, like up close and personal, or uh, have an exchange with Jews up close and personal, or just street preaching in general, to unsaved people. If you're not prepared to do that, then your views, your thoughts concerning people such as ourselves and others are completely inconsequential. 
completely immaterial. Isaiah 22, Isaiah 22, look at verse 22, please. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open, and none shall shut. He shall shut, and none shall open. When we preach on the streets, we preach about a person. When we preach on the streets, we preach about Christ. And we tell people this, that salvation is found in a person, not a place. Salvation is found in Christ, not church. And as I stand here this morning, very early, <laughs> on this glorious February morning, to the best of my knowledge, nearly all of the groups that I know of in the UK, maybe excluding one or two, only go onto the streets to push their church, to get people to join their organization. And I've spoken about this many times over the years. If you come into contact with such people and they give you a pamphlet, a flyer, it's not a tract, of course, and you take time to read it, it doesn't tell you how to be saved. You might get one verse, perhaps, but you won't be told how to be saved or even why to be saved. And that's the quickest way to know whether or not you are speaking to a cult or not, whether or not you are in uh, the presence of a legitimate ministry or not. Most people, most churches, want you to join their system. The cults, of course, are very used to doing this. And that's why if you read their materials, and I have done over the years, there's no message whatsoever about the need to be born again, or how to be born again. What they say is, come along to our meeting place and we will indoctrinate you. Or like the Catholics do, they put you through this system called the RCIA, from memory, and they spend weeks, months, preparing new, uh, new initiates into Catholicism. And once you tick the checklist, you are good to go. But from Acts 16, when the Philippian jailer came into the presence of the Apostle Paul, and he was very much uh, convicted over his sins, he would say to Apostle Paul, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul would say, within a split second, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. It's a covenant relationship between you and God via the Lord Jesus Christ. So next time you come into contact with someone in the streets, if you do, the quickest way to know whether or not they are legit or not, or whether or not they are there for the right reasons, is to see what material they are giving out, see if they have the plan of salvation on their material, and I'll come back to that shortly, and see if they speak about Christ, not a church. See if they speak about a person, not a place. Isaiah 22, 22, and the key, singular, of the house of David, very messianic, will I lay upon his shoulder, Messiah, of course, so he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. It's all about a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, excluding organized religion, which wants you to join their system, which wants to retain you in their system, which wants you to tithe to their system. Go to Matthew 28, please. And for me, that is repulsive. The thief on the cross, moments from death, turned to the Savior and would say, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Think of me when you come into your kingdom. Be merciful to me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ, within a split second, would say, today, right now, will you be with me in paradise? Matthew 28, Matthew 28, look at verse 18, please. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power, all authority, the deeds to the earth, heaven's blueprints, uh, heaven's imprimatur, all power, all authority is given unto me, Jesus Christ speaking. 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I've got the keys. I've got the authority. 
And here Christ is speaking to the apostles, and probably the 70, and vicariously those of us which will come along down through the centuries. And he's saying to go into all the world, start in Israel, of course, and then go beyond Israel, go into the Gentile nations. That's what is being spoken about from the Gospel of John, how you would do greater things than what I have done. And he says to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, starting with the Gospels, of course, the four Gospels, and then leading in to the Epistles. Go to the Gospel of Luke, please. So like I say, I want to call this message the broken key, because it's like this. Many of you uh, have keys to your properties, and your key to your property fits it like a glove. And yet if someone else was to come along and try and use their own key to gain entrance to your property, they'd be unsuccessful. Or if they were to blunt uh, their key, or if they were to chip their key, if they were to damage their key, uh, in the attempt to gain entrance into your home, they would be very unsuccessful. And that's why it's imperative when it comes to speaking to unsaved people. And please keep this in mind as well, if you will, that when it comes to street work, you're very much in the thick of it. When it comes to street work, you are many times dealing with apathy, hostility, and sometimes you may say too much or too little. And I uh, made the case some videos ago concerning our trip to Croydon, uh, summer last year, <laughs> where the month's gone. And uh, some of you have seen that video, and I was speaking to this uh, pastor, I assume from a local church, and I locked horns with him. Now on that occasion, I was probably uh, over the top, perhaps. I was too, uh, too abrupt, perhaps. Other times I've been too reserved. I've been too uh, laid back, perhaps. It's very difficult to get the, the right balancing act. And that's why it goes back to, if you're not on the streets, don't be so quick to judge those of us which are on the streets. And of course, if you are a street preacher, or if you do street work, let us know. Send us some of your material. Perhaps we can learn from you. And I say that sincerely. You know, we are all very much on a learning curve, those of us which are saved, those of us which try to speak to people. We don't claim infallibility. We don't claim impeccability. And at the same time, none of us are above re uh, rebuke. You know, we can all be rebuked and uh, reproved, so on and so forth. Unlike the Catholics, which never correct their leaders. They wouldn't dare. So the analogy is quite simply this. You have a key to your house, and that key allows you entrance into your house. And when you leave your house, you lock the door. If you try to put your key into someone else's door, it won't open, and vice versa, of course. So keep that analogy in mind when it comes to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, look at verse 52, please. Warrant you lawyers... For ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering ye hindered. You've got organized religion. You've got the Pharisees, the scribes, today bishops, cardinals. You've got a group of, on the one hand, very, uh, very educated men, so educated that the plan of salvation goes right over their heads. So here Christ is speaking to the lawyers, the Doctors of theology, experts in the law. Woe unto you, lawyers. What a condemnation. For ye, all of you, have taken away the key of knowledge. When the Reformation was launched back in the 16th century, it was a blessing, of course, to those that were in Romanism, and it allowed such to be set free. And when the Reformers put uh, pen to paper, they would uh, have dialogue with their Catholic counterparts, people that they grew up with, people that they knew very well. And they tried to reach out to such people, and unfortunately they were discarded, put down. You see, the Catholic Church doesn't want to be reformed. Organized religion doesn't want to give up its power, its hold, its clout over people. And I was able to finish Revelation 17 this past Sunday, and I showed, I think conclusively, and quite thoroughly and very uh, methodically, how the Catholic system, the Jezebel, the great whore, is past the point of redemption. 
I think that's probably very true of most Western capitals as well. So don't waste five minutes of your time trying to reform the Church of Rome or the Church of England. If you have a zeal for such people, reach out to the laity. But here it's pretty damning. For ye have taken away the key of knowledge, ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering ye hindered. So it's like this. We go onto the streets, and we get the banner up, and we start to speak to people, and folks come over to us, and they say, uh, this banner is very contentious, or where's the love, or how about doing it this way, or how about doing it that way? And I always say to people, well, let me see how you do it. Or let me see what sort of tracks you are giving out. Or do you warn people about everlasting hell? You see, again, it's very easy to walk down your local high street and see Bible believers, and there are some in the UK, <coughs> that do street work, and critique them, put them down, or go over to them and interrogate them. And yet those same people, and I've noticed this many times over the years, those same people, many times maybe saved, maybe not saved, I don't know, but many times those people walk straight past Muslims, or anarchists, or communists, or socialists, or sinners in general. They won't go over and engage those people, but they'll come over and speak to us. <laughs> Cowards. Inconsistent. They pick the battles which they think they can win. Warrant you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, so they are damned, and them that were entering, ye hindered. You tried to block people. Perhaps you would say something along the lines of, we're not saved by faith in Christ alone, we're saved by faith and works. Okay, fine. Hold to such of you, if you choose to, and off to hell you go. Or you stand against sola scriptura. You say the scripture is all very well, but the Catholic Church wrote the Bible. No, they didn't. But you teach it nevertheless. Or the scripture is all very well, but tradition supersedes scripture, which causes incorrect, and that is condemned from Matthew 23. Look at 53 from Luke chapter 11, please. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. A Catholic comes along to you and says, where do you get your authority from? The same question was put to John the Baptist John chapter 1, and two or three chapters later, did you notice? John the Baptist turns around and responds to the question to his disciples, not to those from the temple. Did you notice that? Because those from the temple, those from organized religion, today the Catholic priests, bishops, cardinals, and popes, were not the Lord's people. Yes, they were historically Jews, of course, and they were physical descendants, of Abraham, but the hearts were far from the Lord. So John the Baptist doesn't even warrant, doesn't even take the time to answer their questions because he knew that they weren't of the Lord. So 52, 53, 53 are devastating. It's one thing to turn down the gospel of the grace of God. And that wasn't bad enough to then go along and try and stop someone else from hearing the gospel is even worse. Turn to chapter 20, please. But for me, I like doing street work. I like speaking to people. I like to get our banner up and speak to whoever comes along. And it's like we said before, you never know who's going to come around that corner. You can prepare as much as you want. And you can say, well, we'll respond to this question this way, or we respond to that question that way, so on and so forth. But until it happens, until you come into contact with whoever it's going to be, you really have no idea how that interaction is going to go. And unfortunately, I've learned from experience that if a witness begins bad, if an interaction begins bad, it normally ends bad. But listen, don't worry if you've done street work, or if you want to do street work, and you've made mistakes in the past, Almighty God can still deal with such a mistake. 
1 Corinthians 15 makes it very clear that whatever we do uh, is good and will not come back, it shan't return void. So you can have the worst witness in your life. It doesn't matter. If that person who you are speaking to is listening to you or wanting to find the Lord, he will send someone else, if necessary, to build on what you've been able to initially do. So don't beat yourself up if you've uh, done street work in the past or made a mistake. Most people, of course, don't go onto the streets. Most people don't want to go onto the streets. You see, for most people, I'll get back to this in a minute. For most people, I think it comes down to this. Hell isn't real to them. They may be saved. Okay, I'm not going to stand here this morning and say they're not all saved. That would be foolish of me. But I do believe, and I've been saved 15 years now, I do believe that for most Christians, hell is not real to them. Hence why they don't speak to people. Hence why they don't go onto the streets. Hence why they don't say to their friends and family, work colleagues, neighbours, so on and so forth, you're going to burn. They'd much rather lock horns with ministries such as ours that are doing frontline work than go door to door and speak to unsafe friends and family. Because on the one hand, hell is not real to them, and on the other hand, and I will say this, they are cowards. They don't want to be rejected. They don't want to be ridiculed. They don't want to get their hands dirty, as it were, and lose friends and family, which is what will happen, of course, if you go around telling people that if they don't repent, off to hell they go. Luke chapter 20, look at verse 34, please. And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they, which shall, uh, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor give in a marriage, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. A typical lordship salvationist will come along and uh, take this verse out of context, which if you do, uh, not only is a pretext for heresy, so on and so forth, but a verse without a context is a pretext. And that is what we refer to as uh, asegesis, not exegesis. But I won't get into that now. So from 2034, Jesus says very clearly how the children of this world marry and are given a marriage, like every day of the week, physical stuff. 35, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor given a marriage. And people say, but am I worthy? Am I worthy to go to heaven? Am I worthy to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer, of course, is no. Christ is speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to Jewry. It says how he came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him. To them gave you the power, the right, to become the sons of God. His ministry for probably three and a half years, was a tough one. He would clash repeatedly with those in organized religion. They felt threatened by him. It says over in John chapter 11, how they planned a council to eliminate him. Take the time to look up all of the councils, starting from Laodicea, Nicaea, uh, Carthage, Trent, and see what happened when those councils were launched, death and destruction and damnation. But they which shall be counted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor given a marriage. Go to John chapter 6. You're not worthy in and of yourselves to do anything when it comes to pleasing the Lord. It's like I said before, if you uh, keep the speed limits or if you pay your taxes on time or if you are a good citizen in your country, the state doesn't congratulate you. The state expects you to do such things. And if you were to go into your local town hall and say, hey, look at me. I have uh, kept the speed limit this past week. Or I've paid all my taxes this past year. Or I've done this, or I've done that. They will laugh in your face. But you see, people are very self-righteous. On top of people not having a real understanding of hell, I also believe it comes down to this as well, that most people don't really see themselves as being all that bad. And I'm speaking about saved people. I believe a lot of saved people 
A lot of born-again people are self-righteous, are backslidden, and are completely out of fellowship with the Lord. And many of those people haven't got ministries and you have taken it upon themselves to create a ministry. <laughs> You've got people who were never called in the first place to have a ministry, and yet they've got a ministry. They're fleshly. <coughs> John chapter 6. So you speak about, or we speak about, being worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead. Partly picturing heaven, and also partly picturing the millennial kingdom. Uh, 640, Jesus speaking again. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth a son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I raise him up at the last day. You believe on him, you trust in him, and he will resurrect you from the dead. 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. You want to become worthy? You want to be worthy to enter into heaven and to perhaps go on to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, fine. You believe on him. You receive him. You need to repent. Now, let me talk about repentance, if I may, for a few moments. Repentance, it's found many times in both Testaments. It starts back in the Old Testament, from memory, I think it's Genesis chapter 6, it speaks about the Lord being repented, or he repented himself. He was grieved that he put man on the earth. And it speaks about the Lord repenting, changing his mind. You walk down the street and you come into contact with trouble, or you see someone coming your way. You stop and you turn around and you walk in the other direction. That's what, that's what repentance is in a nutshell. It's a change of mind. It's to be sorry for who you are and what you are. One of the first words that Christ would preach publicly from Matthew chapter 4 was the word repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind. John the Baptist would say to bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Humble yourself. You've got to preach repentance. You've got to <clears throat> tell people that they're no good. You have to start on a negative and then switch to a positive. But again, if you don't go into the streets, if you don't take the time to speak to people, if you don't warn friends, family, work colleagues, neighbours, so on and so forth about their sins, then you probably are the last person to be offering advice to those of us which do just that. Go to Matthew 23, please. So I have no problem when it comes to speaking to people and telling such people to repent. And you can get into uh, terms and uh, doctrines, and many times it goes back to semantics. But repentance, just for the record, is not a work. Repentance, according to Acts chapter 5, repentance, according to Acts chapter 11, has been granted by the Lord to mankind. He's granted repentance to the Jews. Acts chapter 5. He has granted repentance to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 11. So therefore, when we come into contact with unsaved people, we can tell them to repent, to be sorry for who they are and what they are. Sometimes you've got to shake people up. Sometimes you have to get into people's faces. But again, because most saved people don't really believe hell is real or hell isn't real to them, they may accept that it, that it exists, but hell isn't actually real to them. They don't think about it enough, or they don't really see themselves as being all that bad to begin with. Therefore, they are completely worthless when it comes to being in the army of the Lord. Sure, they're saved, as you are, as I am, but when it comes to being a soul winner, when it comes to making a difference, when it comes to connecting with people, they are worthless. And unfortunately, some of those people have ministries, quote-unquote, which the Lord never called them to have. 23, uh, Matthew 23, look at verse 13, please. Jesus speaking again. But won't you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer them that are entering to go in. Same kind of language. 
from Luke chapter 11. You won't go in yourself. You have rejected the gospel. You've snubbed the Lord. You don't think much of grace. And if you, don't, uh, if you get the time, uh, read uh, Romans 10 verses 1 to 4. That's why the Jews, for the most part, didn't want to receive the Lord because there was no works involved. In fact, I saw one old rabbi online a couple of weeks ago speaking to an American pastor. And he said to this American pastor, well, one of the reasons why we don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah is because he didn't bring peace. And I was waiting for the pastor to respond and say, well, he tried to bring peace, but the Jews rejected him. And this pastor didn't say a word. And I thought, what a pathetic interaction. Christ came to bring peace. Christ came to bring salvation. Christ came to bring the kingdom, if you will, the literal thousand-year reign of Christ. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. But the Jews rejected him, they turned him down, and therefore there was no peace. So you see, that doesn't make any sense. There's no peace, so that Christ couldn't have been the Messiah. No, he was the Messiah. He came to bring peace, but they rejected it. Warrant you scribes and Pharisees. Warrant you priests, bishops, and cardinals. Warrant you self-righteous, professing Christians, and perhaps Christians as well, hypocrites. <laughs> what a word. For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You stop people getting saved, like a JW or a Mormon. And every so often I see those people on the streets, and they spend a lot of time speaking to people. What they won't do is speak about the eternal issues. Have you noticed that? If you speak to a JW on the street, or a Mormon, or a Catholic, and every so often you may see Catholics on the street, not many times, but every so often, or Anglicans, ask them some difficult questions. Ask them about hell. Ask them if there's no hell, why preach the gospel? Or ask them who goes to hell. Ask them what happens to a person who dies without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they won't give you a clear answer because they are stopping you from entering heaven because they are not going there themselves. 14. Warrant you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. If you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayer, therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Long prayers, like the rosary, or you go to confession, and the priest will say to you, say four Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. It comes down to this, that most people, most religious people, are not saved, don't know what salvation is, salvation is not real to them, heaven and hell are not real places to them, and they think that it's all about a place, it's all about them, Come along to our system and we will initiate you, like the Freemasons or the Illuminati. We will tell you what you need to know. And it says over in, I think it's First Timothy, how they are always learning, but never able, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And I think when hell is finally opened, like the second death, I think right at the bottom of hell will be probably the devil. He's still very busy today, sowing discord among the brethren, uh, inspiring people to preach another gospel. And I think right at the bottom of hell will be the devil and his minions, his lieutenants. Above him will be people probably like Hitler and Stalin and other tyrants. And then the religious crowd, those that knew better. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth go into all the world and preach the gospel. All authority, all power starts with the gospels and it starts with the epistles. For those of us which are saved, we have such a responsibility, such a burden to speak to people about eternal issues. I mean heaven and hell. I mean turn or burn. I mean get saved. Repent. Turn to the Lord. Receive him. Believe on him. But most people don't want to do it. Most people say, come along to our church, meet the pastor. We've got a great priest. We've got a great vicar, a great pastoress. Or let's speak about our experiences. Let's talk about our feelings and emotions. You're too critical. The King James is full of errors, so on and so forth. What have you got? 
in its place? Or where's the fruit of what you do? Are people getting saved as a result of what you do? And the answer, of course, is no. 15. One to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, if you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. They are making proselytes, not disciples. Go back to the Catholic Church. A man walks into that church, and he says, I want to become a Catholic. And he will spend weeks, sometimes months, being prepared to receive his first communion. And they will teach him all about church history, papal infallibility, encyclicals, so on and so forth. If that man was to die during weeks and months of preparation, he goes straight to hell. And here the Pharisees are just as guilty of doing the same kind of thing. Travel, sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Devastating. And that's why I feel grieved and I have a righteous anger when it comes to such things. If you don't want to do street work, fine. Or if you don't have the guts or the backbone to speak to people on the streets, fine. Or if you're too fearful and want to do something, okay, fine. Contact us. We will help you as best as we can. But again, if you're not prepared to do what we do, button it. It goes back to Paddy May. It goes back to General Patton. And those are just two unsaved men. And yet what you can learn from those men, I think it's invaluable, quite honestly. 13 to 15, one, two, three times they're called hypocrites. They're condemned. They block uh, themselves going into heaven, which is bad enough. And they block others from going into heaven as well, which goes back also to free will, I might say. Calvinists say, well, hold it, hold it there, James. Almighty God is sovereign, yes he is. And Almighty God has chosen some for heaven and some for hell. No, he hasn't. That's a heresy. And I was criticized a while ago for making the case that Calvinism and Calvinists are not necessarily the same. Let me explain myself. When you got saved, if you are saved, you got saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? When I got saved, I got saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you got saved, let's say you're a Calvinist, or let's say you're a non-Calvinist. When you got saved, you weren't automatically declared to be a Calvinist. Or when you got saved, you weren't automatically declared to be a non-Calvinist. See, what happens is people go into different systems, different strands. People will get saved, as I say, for by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then they wander off into Calvinism or Arminianism, if you will. Now, when that happens, as far as I'm concerned, they become non-productive. They wither up. They become no longer fruit bearers. They're still saved, and therefore, when they get to the judgment seat of the Lord, like you will, like I will, they are going to be judged for what they did and why they did what they did. So there's no inconsistency when it comes to uh, our little group going to Oxford two weeks ago and visiting the spot where three bishops were burned to death, tortured, and publicly executed. Because those men probably started off like you have, like I have, got born again, but then strayed, got involved with organized religion, unfortunately. But again, they weren't born again as Anglicans, they became Anglicans. They weren't born again as Calvinists, they became Calvinists. It's like John Wesley, he was into the holiness movement, he, he believed you could lose your salvation, and he's held up by the Arminians and the holiness people today as a great teacher, and I believe he was saved, even though I don't agree with his uh, soteriology and his uh, views on uh, other issues. And yet at the same time, he got very friendly with Jonathan Edwards, a great American Calvinist, very popular Calvinist still today, and those two became good friends. Because Edwards didn't become a Calvinist straight away, uh, Wesley didn't become an Arminian right away, they went in two different directions. Both saved, probably, and yet they joined different organizations, different groups, and I believe that Wesley, an Arminian, despised by Calvinists, 
was not any, was not any friends with uh, Edwards, but he would preach in Edwards Church four times, I think it was, and I'm happy to be corrected. And as a result, or partly as a result of that, Edwards Church, his congregation fired him, which goes back to the problem of organized religion, hiring pastors, which of course is not scriptural. But the point is this, two men, both saved, one Calvinist, one Armenian, different backgrounds, both had gone into two different directions, and yet were friends. And they preached in each other's pulpits, as would also uh, George Whitfield, a Calvinist, very friendly with Wesley. But here, 13 or 15 hypocrites, you stop people from being saved, and if that wasn't bad enough, you are going to become a perpetual stumbling block, a perpetual uh, irritant in a thorn of those of us which are doing what we do. And yes, I do feel strongly about this, because I've been saved 15 years, and, excuse me, I understand that people sometimes go along with the crowd, and sometimes people just are like sheep, following their pastor, as it were, and never really getting their hands dirty. I've got no time for such people. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. So, as I began uh, this message, it was somewhat nice, somewhat overcast, uh, somewhat mild for February, but now it's getting rather cold. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. Now the Apostle Paul would very much lead by example, like Paddy May, SAS, like General Patton, that American maverick general. And Paul the Apostle would lead by example, like Jesus Christ would do. You can't find fault with the Apostle Paul, not really. You can't find fault with Jesus Christ, not really. You may find fault with me, I may find fault with you. But when it comes to the New Testament, when it comes to what those men were up against, they really did set the standard. First Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, look at verse 14, please. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Again, the same kind of thing. You've got the Jews trying to stop the apostles, Jewish apostles, save Jews from speaking to the Jews, of course, people of Israel, but also the Gentiles, which goes back to the fact that you can stop someone from being saved. That's how serious this is. This isn't a game. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, which goes back to the tulip being incorrect. You see, if Almighty God has chosen people, if he's picked people from every generation to be saved and left the rest to be damned, then why would Paul say this? to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. You've got Judaizers, you've got self-righteous people that have taken the key of knowledge, Luke 11, Matthew 23, they've bent the key, they've blunted the key, or they've tried to counterfeit the key. This is the key, and it doesn't work. Again, try and use someone else's key in your own front door. It won't work, will it? And you might force it in, you might try and turn it, and if you're not careful, that key will snap off. It's happened to me once before, <laughs> some years ago. And you've got to get some pliers and take it out very carefully. Because of that, a broken key remains in the lock, and you don't, uh, don't uh, pull it out correctly. If you don't uh, get it out, it will make the lock uh, unusable again. The brethren, verse 14, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. Again, salvation is in a person, not a place. Salvation is in Christ, not a church. All this foolish talk about the one true church, or we have apostolic authority. No, you don't. 
salvation is in Christ Jesus. For you also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. You're going to suffer persecution. You're going to have people coming along and trying to correct you. It could be to your face. It could be online. And yet most of these people that criticize folks such as us and other frontline ministries wouldn't dare say to your face what they say online. You see, it's like this. A guy gets into his car and he's driving made to be and he thinks he's king of the road and he starts to hoot his horn, he starts to cut people up, he starts to dominate the road because he really believes he's king of the road and yet if he wants to get out of his car and just walk made to be, he wouldn't dare behave in such a cavalier manner. You put someone in front of a computer or a laptop or they get their smartphone out and they're very proud, they're very confident, uh, very courageous. And you put that same person into speaker's corner, where he's got to speak to maybe 100 Muslims, 200 Muslims, or you put him into a sodomite parade, where he's going to speak to, directly and indirectly, maybe 1,000 such people, or you put him into an environment where there are socialists, communists on the streets that are very irate, and think nothing of attacking you, and he, or maybe she, will cower. In fact, they wouldn't even put themselves into such an environment. Do as I say, not as I do. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, verse 15, and have persecuted us, and they please not God and a country to all men. They don't please the Lord. They think they have this ministry. They think they have this authority. They think they are something special. And they go around saying, but do it this way, or do it that way. And you say, well, I'll tell you what, let me watch you do it. Here's my banner. You can hold it for as long as you want. Here are some steps. Here's a megaphone. Let me watch you preach. Let me listen to how you preach the gospel. Or let me see how you speak to your un unsaved friends and family. They won't do it, of course. They will lock horns with you. They will clash with you. But they won't go onto the streets. They won't speak to people up close and personal. Listen, if you've got time in your hands, if you are born again brother, and I'm speaking to brothers now, not sisters, if you are a brother, if you're born again and you love the Lord and you've got time in your hands, get off your computer and go and stand outside your local mosque or your local Catholic church or your local synagogue. Or if that's too confrontational, okay, fair enough. Take a stand in your local town, in your local city, and see how you do. I'll tell you something, it will humble you. Most people that you will come into contact with are not interested in you, have no interest in theology. You can make videos online, you can say this, you can say that, you can write articles, you can go to a huge church, five, 10,000 people, and speak to the choir, and have this great fuzzy warm feeling inside. But when you go into the real world, they don't care about Jesus, they don't care about the Bible, they don't care about you, and they may even assault you. And I mean physically, not just verbally. They please not God and a country to all men. From John 16, they will think that they do God's service. Like the Muslims, al Akbar, they go around killing people. And yes, we know not all uh, Muslims are jihadists, but all jihadists are Muslim. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. You won't preach about that name, Jesus that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. So, you've got many things from all of these verses. You've got this need to preach the gospel. Old Jeremiah would say that he couldn't keep his mouth shut indefinitely, and he got so fed up with apostasy in his generation that he said he would uh, sit alone. He couldn't be a part of the assembly of the mockers. And sometimes, if you are saved, you will have to take a lone stand. Sometimes you'll have to do what you need to do on your own. Sometimes your saved family, your saved friends, won't stand with you. You'll have to go alone. Go to Revelation chapter 1, please. Revelation chapter 1. Look at 17, please. And when I saw him... I fell at his feet as dead. 
and laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And of the keys of hell and of death. He's got the keys. Starts off in Isaiah, key singular. Now it's keys plural. He would give the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew 16 to Peter and the apostles. Matthew 18, John chapter 20. Those keys from Matthew 16, Matthew 18, Matthew, excuse me, uh, John 20, are solely in reference to the millennial kingdom, okay, but also solely in reference to Pentecost, Acts 1, Acts 2. The kingdom of God, the keys to the kingdom of God are given to all of the apostles and vicariously the church. But here, these keys of hell and of death are simply found in Christ. These keys are not delegated either. Now he would delegate those keys, like I say one more time, from Matthew 16 to Peter and the apostles. But again, that's for the kingdom of heaven. And also keep this in mind, if you will, as a quick footnote, that those keys from Matthew 16 are only mentioned once in the four Gospels. Mark's Gospel, uh, who was a friend of Peter, a companion, of Peter, doesn't mention those keys whatsoever. Luke doesn't mention those keys whatsoever. Neither does John. Only once in the four Gospels are those keys mentioned. I'm here that liveth and was dead, behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And of the keys of hell and of death. Non-transferable. These won't be delegated to anyone else. They won't be passed down to anyone else. Jump over to chapter 3 and I will close. Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 7, please. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works, behold, I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and has not, and has kept my word, and has not denied my name. See, even up at the open air pulpit, when I'm reading the scriptures, you make mistakes. Sometimes you speak too quickly, as I am accustomed to do, or flies <laughs> go into your face. You make mistakes. Okay, fine. So we are all on a learning curve. None of us are above reproach. But it goes back to this: if someone's trying to do something, if someone's trying to reach people for the Lord, then they have my support. I may not agree with them doctrinally on every belief they hold to, but if they are trying to do something for the Lord, if they are trying to preach Jesus and yet are off on this point or that point, I personally won't condemn them. I will try and uh, encourage them. And I may say along the way, well, brother, you're wrong here or you're wrong there, but you won't see me jump on such a person. And I certainly won't make a video against such people. These things saith he that is holy, unlike you, unlike me. He that is true, unlike you, unlike me. He that hath a key of David. Messianic, going into the millennial kingdom, like I say. He that openeth, and no man shutteth. And shutteth, and no man openeth. It's all about Christ. It's about a relationship. I know their works, behold. I have set before thee an open door. Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. And no man can shut it. What would he say from Matthew 16, how the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? Because Almighty God is the foundation of our church. The rock is Jesus Christ, not Simon Peter. In fact, I was able to record a six-part message in Oxford called The Master, His Miracles, and His Men. And it runs to around three hours. And Lord willing, I'll post it probably in March now. And it was a great blessing to sit down day and night with our little group and read through the Gospel of Matthew uh, specifically and just look at the Master and his miracles and his men. And I made the case time after time how Christ Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation. And how Simon Peter was commended for affirming such a fact. For thou hast a little strength and has kept my word, 
and has not denied my name. Almighty God has put his name above his word. And that is found, of course, from Psalm 138, verse 2. So I will say this and start to uh, wrap this message up, that when it comes to street work, when it comes to speaking to people, when it comes to speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever you do, even if it's not completely correct all of the time, can still be used. And that's why I think if you come into contact with religious people or unsaved people, or if you lose your nerve, or if you say too much or say too little, don't be too hard on yourself. At the same time, don't listen to people that criticize, people that don't go onto the streets and never have done. In fact, here's a little thought for you. If you're thinking about who's a good ministry to pray for, okay, or who's a good ministry to stand with, if you go online, take a look at some of the people that post videos online, or check some of the uh, churches that stream online, or check some of the people that put articles online, and see how often they go onto the streets. See how many videos they post doing street work, or how many tracts they give out, or how many times they speak to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the quickest ways to discover whether or not a ministry is really a ministry. It's not enough just to make videos. It's not enough just to write articles. It's not enough just to go to a church building and speak to one another and do religion. We have to be in the highways and the byways. And that's where Wesley was very much a good example, a leader, as was Spurgeon as well. But I think since the death of people like Wesley and Spurgeon and also Booth, and I've got problems with those three men concerning their theology, but go back to what I said a little while ago, they didn't start off uh, as Calvinists or Arminians. They didn't start off being in the holiness movement, which believes you can lose your salvation. They drifted into such a position. But those men, street preached, I mean, Booth was assaulted many times. Wesley was dragged around Wigan, and I've been to Wigan many times, and he was tied to the back of a horse, and he was cut and bleeding, and uh, really did lead by example. So for me, when I look at these men, yes, I find fault in them. Yes, I would criticize, or not necessarily publicly, but I would speak to them privately and say, brother such and such, I think you're wrong on this, or brother such and such, I think you're wrong on that. And yet at the same time, I think, you know, that what you are doing is sincere. And the Lord can tweak even an insincere message, even an incorrect message. He can take a bad message, he can take a bad witness. And if he wants to, he can perfect it. But here, Christ and Christ alone has the keys. Christ and Christ alone is the saviour of the world. And again, if you're not sure about a ministry, just check out how often they preach about Jesus Christ. How often they preach that salvation is found in Christ Jesus? Do their pamphlets preach such a message? Now, every so often, I will meet people that are doing just that, and they are trying to get people saved, and I salute such people. Amen. Bless you all. But most of the time, my experience continues to show me that those who go onto the streets, for the most part, are not preaching the gospel, are not using the key of, of the key of knowledge, excuse me, they are using a broken key. They have broken their key, they have blunted their key, they have damaged their key, or they are using a counterfeit key. And the broken key will not let you in. If you think you can preach a false gospel, or no gospel, it won't save anyone. But I do believe again, without sounding like I'm going over myself, that even if you are perhaps unsure of yourself, or perhaps are uh, pulling back somewhat, not wanting to be too confrontational, that's fine. The Lord can still use that, and what he'll probably do is send someone else to build on that. He speaks about one person, one person laying a foundation, someone else coming along and watering it, and Christ bringing the increase. It's a team effort. It's a team effort, but once you get the wrong key, once you damage your key, once you blunt your key, or once you break your key, 
then it's all over. And Paul speaks about false gospels over in the epistle to the Galatians. And he is scathing of such people. So there you are, one hour on my feet. And would you believe it's getting somewhat warmer now? <laughs> Just as I finish all of my verses, the temperature has started to go up. So please pray for our ministry. Uh, please please uh, pray for Oxford. Pray for the tracks that we gave out. Pray for the banner, which was seen by thousands of people. Pray for those that we spoke to. And pray for further outreaches this year and further uh, videos such as this. And if you want to get a great blessing, if you want to be a part of a detailed Bible study, join me this Sunday when I go through the book of Revelation, chapter 18, which will take place, Lord willing, at 11 a.m. UK time. And on that thought, I will sign out. We should be blessing and Maranatha.